Let me say, if anybody would like to get a Christmas gift for Jonathan, uh, this is the new Apple water bottle. They'll be releasing it soon for $500. Bargain at the price. I don't know what it does. Uh, after one year, you'll need to buy a new one. Because it'll begin to fall apart, but it will, you just feel so cool. And uh. <laughs> Come on, if you have a Bible today, I want to go to, where am I going to? going to go to Luke 24 and uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Hey, I have some sermon notes today. If anybody doesn't have them or need them, just raise your hand. I, we'll pass those out again or grab one. They're on the email we're sending out every week now. If you're watching online and you'd like the notes, I'd actually really encourage you to get the notes this week because I'm going to cover a lot of material. And I, I think this is an important subject so I'm going to try to do something I don't normally do, stick a little more with my notes today. And uh, Father, thank you for utterance. Thank you for uh, words from heaven. Thank you for leading and guiding me. And Lord, give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus this day, we pray. Amen. Good. So we began, I began a couple of weeks ago, and thank you to Kathy. We were all watching Kathy and Ireland last week. Oh, the joys of the internet and time change. So, but yeah. But I began a couple of weeks talking about the end times. Say the end times. And I, I know, I feel like where angels fear to tread, I've jumped in. And I said I would take about three weeks and speak about the end times. And honestly, like, how do you even begin to scratch the surface or, or do that? But I, I'm going to try to just give some clarity on on the end times. So I said this two or three weeks ago, we don't have to understand everything. And I think God wants us to be a people where our goal isn't that we've got all of this figured out. Rather, our goal is that we're learning and we're growing and we've got hungry hearts and we come to God's Word, not like somebody who just is trying to figure God out, but Lord, that says, Lord, open my eyes, I want to see things. Agreed? You guys are quiet today. Forgive me, I'm five hours ahead of you, so boom. I think I said two, three weeks ago that it's interesting being a, it's interesting being a stranger in a strange land. I don't mean America, but I, I went to France as a young man, and I spoke no French whatsoever. I mean, literally, I couldn't say my name is Graham. I, when I began to speak French, I used to say, je m'appelle Graham, je suis anglaise, which means my name is Graham, I am an English girl. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I figured something out really quickly because I was, I was in a big city and I found lots of American, British, Aussie friends, whatever. I figured something out that some people had an attitude that says, I'm not good at this, but every day I'm going to keep learning. And every time somebody says a word I don't, I don't get, I'm going to stop. What's, what does that mean? And I won't be embarrassed. And I found other people were like, so, like, we'll never ask for help. And I found some people, when it comes to foreign language, and this is true vice versa, let's say French into English, sort of adopt this persona that I'm no good at that. I can't. And they, they just put this wall up. And I know people, I'll just use Leah's wider family as an example. Most of them speak English really well, but I know some of them, and they're great. It's sort of like I've just adopted an idea. I'm no good at this, so I won't even start. It's all to me. And I, I just, I think at times we do that with God's word. 
And I think with certain subjects, some of us just buy into the idea, look, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin with that subject, so I'll leave it to somebody else. And I want to say lovingly, love y'all, but uh, that's not okay. God's looking for people Again, where it's, it's okay, we don't, none of us have everything worked out on ever, anything in the Bible. I don't have salvation completely worked out. Oh dear. Do you? I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to get all those things working out. But God wants us to be hungry and humble and learners and go to His Word. And I actually think, I really believe this, that the more... The key to revelation in God's Word isn't actually found in Greek and Hebrew and learning, although that's good and has its place. It's found in a hungry heart. It's found in a heart that says, Lord, I want to hear your voice. And when we'll come with that attitude, the Lord will open our eyes. And so I'm, I'm going to try to talk about Israel today, and I'll be honest, I've got a lot of things I want to cover. I was looking at this saying, what can I leave out? And I'm really going to go through a whole bunch of things. So forgive me, a few disclaimers, forgive me if I just blast through this, okay? And I'm aware that in everything I say, there's probably 10 things I don't say. So if you're sitting there going like, why didn't he say this? Or I don't agree, like, come and give me a hug at the end and let's, let's talk and have a, because I probably agree with you, but I just don't want to keep everybody here till midnight. Today, we're going to have a 24-hour sermon. <laughs> yeah? I think as well, let me just be clear, we're speaking in a context. When we talk about Israel, it's not some abstract uh, subject. It never has been, but it's certainly not right now, is it? Agreed? And at times, you know, we, we rightly bring our passions and our, like, things to those, and I think that's good. I'm going to touch at that a little bit. Um, and my goal today is actually more to say, what does the Bible say that we, how should we in 2023 as the church look at Israel? What, is, what are God's plans, promises, rather than trying to have a discourse about political Israel and what they should or shouldn't do? I'll touch at that a little bit because it's, it's important, but that's not my, my primary goal today. Let me say this as well. I'm probably going to give you my opinion about two or three times. Is that okay? <laughs> Opinions are fun, but I'm going to try to say, this is first Graham. So it's okay to have opinions, just don't ever confuse them with the Bible. Okay? And let me begin by giving you an opinion. This is just my opinion. I believe we're living in the, the last days. Now, theologically, we've, the last days started 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. So the, the Bible says, in the last days, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. So I, I'm on good ground saying we'll live in the last days. But I personally, this is First Graham, I believe we're living in the last days of the last days. And I, I want to be real. I could be wrong about that. I said two weeks ago that nearly every generation since Jesus went to heaven has thought that they lived in the last days. And nearly every generation has looked at precedent generations and gone, yeah, but you guys aren't living what we're living. You don't read the paper we read. If you were living now, you'd really think we're... And so I think we should all have a little bit of humility around that and go, it's okay to think we're living in the last days, but we could be wrong. Does that, does that make sense? And part of me, again, I, I have a part of me, and I'm going to talk about this next week. I think the Lord wants the church. It's not a contradiction. It's just God's bigger than we think he is. God, God is looking for a church that's thinking generationally, that's thinking, what if we're still living in the early church? What if Jesus doesn't come back for 10,000 years? 
and that we're not thinking it all ends with us right here and right now. We're thinking about raising up people, about writing books, about sewing things. I'm trying to make videos right now, and I'm, like the Lord challenged me once and said, what if somebody watches this in 500 years, Graham? How cool is that? Welcome to Starbucks in Belfast. Yeah. <laughs> Some poor kid in Bible school will be like, what's a Starbucks? And, uh, his teacher will say, it's this demonic uh, coffee thing. There. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so we've got to think generationally, amen. And yet at the same time, I think we should be living now. And again, I'll, I'll just give you really quick, this is my opinion. This is not even Bible. And let's be clear, the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. We make fools of ourselves and we think that. I'll give you four quick reasons why I believe we are living in the, personally, I think it's sort of like the last days. To me, that could mean one, two, five, 20, 30, 40 years, something like that. But number one, I actually think the Bible teaches, and I could be wrong about this, but my reading of it is Jesus says the generation that sees Israel restored will see Messiah coming. Now, if you were a baby in, help my math, I've got jet lag. 1948, you would be 75? Is that okay? Now, I don't know. Live long and prosper. Like, I don't know. But I, even if you're 75 and you live really, really long, that's still drawing to a close. And I think that generation that saw Israel will restore, will see the coming of Jesus. Just my reading of it could be wrong. Give me a hug and tell me I'm wrong afterwards. I shared a couple of weeks ago how I believe people have lit, little arguments over different things. The book of Daniel speaks about the abomination of desolation. And some Christians believe it happened 2,000 years ago when the Romans overthrew Israel. Some people, the kind of dispensationalists, you know, believe that it will happen in the future. They'll rebuild a temple and then abominate it and whatever. I actually believe it's really clear. Daniel actually said after 1,290 periods of time, this will happen. And then he said, but for those who can wait 1,320, I believe it was, they'll see restoration. If you count 1,290 years exactly from the time Daniel prophesied, it leads you to 705 BC when the Muslims built the Alaska Mosque on top of the site the temple had been that's still standing there today. If you go to Jerusalem today, right where, right where the Holy of Holies was, there's a mosque. And all the way around the outside, it says, uh, it says, there is no God but Allah, and he has no son. I, just, just for me, think that's what Daniel was talking about, because the years match up. And yet Daniel said, if, if you count 1,000, I think it was 320 years, whatever you look in Daniel 11, after that, consolation, 1,300 and however many years after that date leads you to 2040 AD. Turn to your neighbor and go, ouch. No. That's just me. I, I would also say, again, that's just my opinion. If you look at the way things are accelerating in the world, it's like everything, evil is accelerating, good is accelerating, people with nuclear weapons, just everything is, is sort of moving in a direction. And I don't personally think that's going to go on for 100,000 years. But again, that's my opinion, okay? Come on, let's go to the Bible. So what I want to do today, my, my goal, my mission here with you, I want to just try to lay out a biblical understanding of how we should think about Israel. 
how we should think about the Jewish people, about Israel, about the nation of Israel. Uh, I want to show some different views about that and what I actually think the Bible clearly says about Israel. Again, I want to be clear in saying this, that different Christians have different points of view. And I actually don't think, I think there are some points of view that should be illegal. If somebody is anti-Semitic, I've got nothing good to say to you. I want to slap you and repent later. But that's not okay, is it? And we have to own this. There have been many Christians over the last 2,000 years who've been anti-Semitic. Truth. Even good Christians, people like Martin Luther who saw the truth that were justified by faith and risked his life. Martin Luther once wrote, I'm afraid to even say it on YouTube, he who kills a Jew does a good work. Like, horrible. And so often things like even the Crusades in Europe, you know, at the turn of the first century, Christians saw, oh, it's been a thousand years now, let's raise an army and march on Jerusalem. And kill, they kill Muslims and Jews. And it's, you know, in the church, people have done a lot of stupid things in the name of Jesus. And I think sometimes we, are such, we have such short memories in the West, in our generation. At times, even when we approach our, our Jewish friends or whatever, we should think about the language we use or think about the associations or think that sometimes what, it, what means something really great to us, they're hearing something really differently. So, again, I want to say that it's okay. I think there are some different views on Israel, and I don't think we should be throwing stones at anybody. And I know good people who love God, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who don't believe what I believe about Israel. And what we shouldn't do, as I said a couple of weeks ago, somebody did with me last year, is try to castigate them and try to insult them and try to, you know, there's an idea that if you don't agree with me, you hate Jewish people. That's stupid. We should have a little bit of humility at times and go, sometimes good people with, in good faith with a good heart can see things a little differently. And rather than kind of insult them, we should convince them with the Word of God rather than try to pressure them. Agreed? Okay, just trying to set this up. Let me say this. Thirdly, I, I actually think it's really important we know what God thinks about Israel. Now again, if you're a Christian and you've never even thought about this, that's okay. God loves you and you're his little bunny and <laughs> you're safe in Jesus. God doesn't love you because you understand every little doctrine in the Bible. And if you're a Christian and you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you're in. That's it. But do you know what? Here's my point of view, and I think this is true. God wants us to know what he's doing on the earth and I think God wants us to be for the things he is for and against the things he is against. And I think there are actually lots of Christians who unknowingly, due to ignorance, actually find themselves standing against what God is doing or praying against what God is doing. Now, does God love them? Yeah, he loves them. But you know, at times we remove the blessing of God on our lives when we actually start fighting against what God is doing. And I think, you know, America with all of its faults and failings, and it has them, I, I tell you one thing I think God loves about it, America, it's always stood with Israel. And sometimes, you know, st I'll, I'll cover that later, standing with Israel doesn't mean thinking everything they do is wonderful. It actually means believing Israel should stand. 
It's not saying we approve of every little thing. I don't think God approves of everything they do, but I think he still loves them. And my point is, if we, if I find myself, even through my theology or my upbringing or my culture, standing against the plans and purposes of God, that's not a good place to be. And I tell you guys, the, the, the word that God spoke to Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse. It's not like I want to, but I am going to curse those who curse you. I think that's still in order today and still stands today. And I don't want, I want the blessing of God on my life. And I don't want, like I say, inadvertently, maybe through ignorance, to be working against God. I want to work with him. Hallelujah. You guys are quiet today. Just nod and smile and, yeah, rock on, Graham. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So let me read a, a scripture I read a couple of weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 10, 32 says, give no offense. And then it lists three groups of people that we could possibly give offense to. Paul says, give no offense either to the Jews to the Greeks or the nations or the Gentiles, we might say, or to the church of God. Let me give you a really important key for understanding the end time. God divides the world into three groups. He's looking at the Jewish people, he's looking at the nations of the world, and he's looking at the church. And at times when we read passages like Revelation, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Daniel, Matthew 24, before we read it, we should be saying, who is he speaking to? You see, if God is speaking to the nations, like in Psalm 2, it's a prophetic psalm. I think we're going to see it lived out even this year, where he says, why do the nations plot a vain thing? The kings and the rulers of the world gather around Israel, saying, we will uproot the king you've chosen, and we'll put our own king. And here's the point. If, God, if we're reading a passage, God is speaking to the nations, and we think he's speaking to the church, we're in trouble. If, if we're reading something, God has spoken to the people of Israel, and we think he's speaking to the church. That's not the best way. We should be saying, who is he speaking to? Three groups. We've got to rightly divide the word of truth. The Jews, the nations, and the church. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about the destiny of the church. I want to speak about the destiny of Israel. And next week, we'll speak about the nations of the world. So let me begin, begin with these notes. Um, Come on, number one, when we're reading the Bible, we're reading a Jewish book. Agreed? I wish God had chosen a Brit to write the Bible. It would have made so much more sense. Josh, you were the only person nodding, so I love you. I've got the glasses for the way. Let's do that. Oh, God. Do you know, at, at times, seriously, do you know in the West, we're very... I don't say we're more rational than anybody else. It's like through the enlightenment, rationality has become the basis on which we do everything. If I said to you, um, you can only grow bananas in a warm climate. Iceland is a cold climate. Are there any banana trees in Iceland? Do you know, this is a true thing. If you go to a nation like India and ask the same question, your average Indian will say, I don't know, I've never been to Iceland. Now, they're not dumb, believe me. They just think experientially more than logic. Our first thing is to go, if this is true and that's true, we, we look at like an equation. They go, I've never been to Iceland. How would I know? 
And they're not, it's not like a stupid thing. It's just simply they put experience above logic. Maybe they're nearer the truth than we are. And I want to say that it's really important we get this. When you read in the Bible, you're reading a Jewish book. And it's not like we've got to learn Hebrew or whatever, and I don't mean it in that find some clever dictionary. And, but we just need to understand this is a Jewish book. We have a Jewish Messiah. And it's, we don't need to be Jews, but we, don't, we no, don't need to squeeze the Bible into a kind of American or British or Western thing and try to get it to be exactly like, frankly, we're the ones who need to bend the knee. One of the saddest things about church history is when we, who were Gentiles, when we came to faith, I think what God's heart was is that we would have gone to our Jewish friends and said, teach me the ways of, of the Lord. Teach me you guys know you've lived this thing for so long. I, I've just come alive to the Messiah. Would you teach me? What we've done as a church, and I'll get into this in a moment, is we've gone to our Jewish friends and go, God's rejected you. You're finished with. You're over and done with. We, we're the church. We're the, you know, and, and frankly, like, use violence or whatever. Shame on us. There's things we can learn, even from people who aren't born again. Because all of our cultures, I love culture. Culture's a great thing. I love American culture. We were in Ireland last week, Irish, I love French culture, whatever. But there's only one culture that came from heaven. Moses downloaded it on the first tablet. Yeah, God said, this will be your traditions. These will be your holidays. These will be your ceremonies. This, this is how you pray. And there's so much we could learn if we did that. And I, I believe we need to have that attitude that says, we who were no longer Gentiles, by the way, we were Gentiles, we've now been grafted in, but we who were Gentiles should have a little bit of humility when we come to the God of Israel and we try to make him just like us. There's an amazing hymn I love in England. It's such a cool hymn. Uh, it's called Jerusalem. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, the line is, it, the, the first line goes like this, and did those feet in ancient times walk upon England's pastures green, and did the holy Lamb of God, the whole hymn is about did Jesus walk the hills of England? And while it's a beautiful hymn with moving music, the obvious answer is no, he never went anywhere near England. He likes England, I think, but he never came to Massachusetts, never to England. And I can't read the Bible through some British lens, American lens or whatever. We've got to go to the Word of God. Agreed? And I think there is a, a humbling thing, and there is something about us learning the ways of God and honoring Israel. What I, what I want to do today with you briefly, I'm going to cover three sevens. I'm going to talk about 21 things. I want to talk about seven beliefs that we should have about Israel, number one. Number two, I'm going to talk about seven errors about Israel. And number three, I'm going to talk about seven ways it should change how we live, seven practical things. Again, they're all there in your notes, and I'll try to blast through a lot of them. But uh, again, I encourage you, you know, pray and say, Lord, give me a heart for Israel. I think there's something to catch in the spirit about Israel that sometimes, you know, you can study the verses and we have arguments or things like that. There's something to catch in the Holy Spirit about Israel that is precious and that is glorious. And I believe God wants people who are awake and alive to his plan and purpose in this day.
So let me begin with seven things we should believe. Number one, God chose Abraham and his children to be a special and chosen people. I wish God had chosen the Brits, but he didn't. Come on, can I say that God chose Abraham? He did. Now, you may like that. You may not like that. I actually love it. If you read, don't go there. But in Genesis 15, when the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham, excuse me, the Lord put Abraham to sleep. God did all of the work. It's like he was saying to Abraham, I don't want you to bring in anything to this covenant. It would be like, imagine, forgive me, it's a terrible analogy, but imagine two people getting married and one of them slept all the way through. It's <laughs> terrible. Don't write to me, please. The ceremony. The point I want you to see is God said, this is all about me and not about you. This is all based on my faithfulness, not your faithfulness. And frankly, all the way through the Old Testament, we see Israel betraying the covenant of God. And, and literally, the Lord once called a prophet called Hosea. He said, marry a prostitute and she's going to cheat on you. And it's like the Lord, the Lord then, uh, people are watching this like, this thing play out, and the Lord said, that's what my people have done to me. And God didn't choose them because they were better looking, wiser, whatever. He chose them because of himself. Come on, if, if you catch this, this will really help you. You know, people get into this silly argument about predestination. People read passages like Romans 9 and 11 that speak about God chose one and rejected another. What we do is we read that with a, national, with a rationalistic Western mind, and we think God's talking about people. I choose you. You do bad luck. Uh, no, forget it. I choose you. And... And we read those passages and we go, how is that fair? That, that has nothing to do with what Paul is talking about. What Paul is saying is God chose the nation of Israel. He's not talking about a person. God loves everybody. God is no respecter of persons. What Paul is saying there is God chose a nation called Israel. And if, if me as a brick want to go, well, you should have chosen us. Paul's saying is like, get over it. God is God. He can choose anything he wants. And, and catch my heart here, guys. God has a plan for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But God's plan for the French, Brits, Americans, Aussies, whatever, they all come through the, the God of Israel. And it wasn't like God saying, I love this people, and the rest of you can all go to He wasn't saying that. He said, I've chosen this people to, frankly, to pay a price, to be a carrier of my word to the world. To, to sacrifice 70 bulls. If you read um, Genesis 11 about the, before the Tower of Babel, there were 70 nations. They were a nation of priests until Messiah would come. They were called to carry the glory of God in a box for a season. And they were called more than anything to be a nation that would bring Messiah into the world. Hallelujah. And they were chosen and again, I want you to see that he's not saying I ch choose you as an individual and don't choose you. He's saying I chose a nation. So number one, God chose Israel. Number two, God gave them the land. There is a phrase this morning. I was up early. This morning I was watching a, a guy I know, and I don't know, forgive me, that's not true. A guy I, I've watched a few times interacted with, but I've never met him. In London, he was reporting yesterday on all of these marches in London. There's like, you know, sometimes like a million Muslims now marching through the streets of London. 
And if you look at the chant they are chanting, I tell you guys, it's really demonic. What they're chanting is from the river to the sea. And what they mean is we will have all the land. From, they're basically saying we will wipe Israel out. That's what they're saying. And, and that's not just Europe. That's what's happening in America right now. That's what's happening in a lot of our college campuses. Yeah, and when they say from the river to the sea, what they're basically saying is, we will wipe you off the map. Can I say who invented that phrase? God did. And God came to Abraham and said, I will give you this land from the great river to the great sea. God set out the boundaries, and it wasn't the United Nations that gave the land to Israel. It was God. And I want to say, like, I understand that I'm going to get to the Palestinian moment. We can fight that. We can go, yeah, but what? Like, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer to some of those things. My answer is the sovereign God of justice in, in time and space, he's going to work out all of those things. He's not looking for my help to do those things. He's not looking for us with money or force to air cause. Like God loves everybody, but God did say he gave that land to them. He said the same thing again and again and again. And I think, you know, we who were Gentiles, my point is there should be that humility in us it's not ours to, to carve apart and divide and say, we'll do this. and we You know, God gave them that land. Come on, number three, where are we? God has judged Israel. Probably God has judged Israel more than any nation. God has judged Israel for many things, but he's judged Israel. Why? For the rejection of Messiah. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And there is a danger. Sometimes we, we Christians try to love Israel more than God does. God, God has looked at Israel and said, I judge you because you rejected Messiah. There's judgment upon Israel. But come on, let me say key number four. God has not rejected Israel. That's the key to understand. There are some people, we'll get to that again in a moment, who said God has judged them and God's just rejected them and replaced the church. I'll start again with the church. No, God has judged them, but he's a God of redemption. And he's going to redeem Israel. And the Bible says, we'll get to it in a minute, all Israel will be saved. But I, I, it's important we realize that, that God is not okay with where Israel is right now. And the Lord, Jesus said it again and again and again. Do you remember in Matthew 8, the centurion comes to him and the Jews are all going, hey, you're going to heal him. Jesus says, the day will come when people will come from the east and the west and the north and south and sit down with Abraham and the children of the kingdom of Israel will be cast into outer darkness. And there is a, there's, there's like a judgment because they rejected the Messiah. But come on, key number four, God has not rejected Israel. They're still his people and he loves them. And it's really important that we catch that. Come on, number five, things we should believe. God has fulfilled the law of Moses and the system of sacrifice in Jesus. Yeah. At times, I meet Christians who are like, oh, we're going to raise some money and build another temple, and we're trying to breed a red heifer so we can sacrifice it. Can I say this? I am utterly convinced of this. God does not want one drop of blood spilt ever as a sacrifice to cover anybody's sin. Am, am I saying that could never happen? It could happen, but I tell you, God, God's going to look at, if, if they ever like try to reinstitute blood sacrifice, God's going to look at it and go, nope, not having that rejected. 
And I think it's actually important for us as Christians to realize that we cannot add to the blood. God is satisfied with the blood of Jesus. And the book of Hebrews clearly says that, that all that system of sacrifices and trying to, by the law, no man is justified. And Jesus has dragged the dregs of the wrath, or wrath, whatever Americans say, of the cup of God. He drank it, and then Jesus cried out the last thing Jesus did before he died. He cried out, John 19, verse 30, it is finished. And the Bible says God the Father came and ripped the curtain of the temple from the top to the bottom, from heaven to earth. And it's like God said, the law of Moses, the sacrificial system is finished. The blood of my son, yeah, I am pleased in the blood of my son. It's been accepted. And I want to say that there's, it's important we're not trying to go back to that. Come on, number six, God, I really believe this, and we'll, we'll probably get into this more next week. I believe God has an end time plan for Israel. This is not finished. Israel is not going to look like it does now when Jesus returns. And I think this can happen really quickly. But I think there is an end time destiny for Israel. And I tell you guys, I, I, we'll talk about it more next week. But frankly, it's all over the Bible. It's not hard to see. And basically what the Bible says is that all or most of the nations of the earth are going to come and surround Israel. And it's like everybody's going to turn against them. Yeah, everybody. And then, like, when, when they can't even defend themselves, the Lord will come and defend them. Can I say that, guys? That doesn't have to be me or you. I actually believe it doesn't have to be our nation. I believe there are sheep and goat nations. What's the difference between a sheep and goat nation? In as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, to little Benjamin, so much you've done it to me. And I think how we react and respond to Israel is really important. And I think the Lord wants people praying like never before. You know, earlier this year, there was the, the largest prayer meeting there has ever been on planet Earth for Israel. Something like nearly five million people were fasting and praying for Israel. And I think Satan, there's a backlash and there are things going on in response to that. But I, I tell you guys, we don't want to be simply like following the world. We want to follow the plan of God and be standing with him. Come on, number seven, the Bible says all Israel will be saved. Now, I don't know. Christians sometimes argue, does that mean every single person, every dog, every cat? I don't know. To me, it means there is going to be national revival in Israel. I personally don't think everybody will be saved, but I think everybody's going to see Jesus the Messiah for who he is. I think there's still going to be people who are like, no, I don't want you. But I think there's going to be mass turning to Jesus before this gig is over. Hallelujah. And we should be praying for that. And I, I don't believe that will come through our clever evangelistic methods, although we should do them. It will come by a sovereign act of God. Come on, seven things we should believe. Number two, seven things we should not believe about Israel are errors. Number one, anti-Semitism. Can we just say that? That is evil. Let, let me go backwards. All racism is evil. Racism is stupid. I don't care who you are or where you're from. God wants you to love the British. It's a joke. It's a joke. Come, whenever we start judging somebody on the color of their skin, like, duh. That's like the stupid thing ever, isn't it? 
If we go to somebody and we look down on them or look up to them because the pigment of their skin is darker, lighter, whatever, I mean, more fool us. That is a stupid thing. And although that may be unpopular to say, you know, the answer to racism isn't passing endless laws and some quota system and trying to, like, well, you're, you're half this race and, and you, you know, just... The answer is to do what Martin Luther King said, treat people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And sometimes what we're seeing in America, we pass endless... I think we need to get to the place where how many black, white, green, yellow people they have in Harvard becomes like, I mean, imagine if I said, how many redheads do they have in Harvard? I should be careful. Notice I didn't say how many blondes should they have in Harvard. <laughs> Sorry, Beth. All last week, John was standing up saying, I'm married to this beautiful blonde. And I just <laughs> I'm getting in more and more trouble now. Here's the point. If you said, how many redheads, how many brunettes, like, who gives a rip? Should they be there? But you know, when we, when we engage in racism, the lie behind racism is we are insulting the image of God in another person. But can I say there's something over and above about anti-Semitism. There is a spiritual power behind anti-Semitism. You'll see all the way through the Bible, Satan has tried again and again and again and again and again to wipe out the Jewish people. And does he hate them? Yes, he does. But he, he's trying to get to God through them and trying to wipe out the plan of God. And there should be something in us anytime, anywhere. Again, all racism, absolutely. But anytime we hear that, we need to stamp it out. It is evil, and it has no place whatsoever in the church. Agreed? Come on, number two. There is, a, there is like a, a theological idea. It's not exactly anti-Semitism, but it's like its first cousin called replacement or supersession theology. What replacement theory or theology says is God has rejected Israel and he started again with us. And we are now the Israel of God. God's finished with Israel, over and out. Don't want to know you guys anymore. And we are the Israel of God. Now, are we the Israel of God? Like, there's a sense in which that's true. Here's how it's true. God took me, who was a Gentile, saved me, washed me in the blood of Messiah, and he's grafted me in. We who were once without God, without hope, without a covenant in the world, Ephesians 2.12, we now have been grafted in. And I can say I am the... If, Galatians 3.29... We who are of faith are the seed of Abraham. So I can say, I am the seed of Abraham. I'm part of Israel. But I don't replace Israel. I've been drafted into it. Imagine if Leah was here and she comes from a long line of French princesses before they chop their heads off. And her family's got this, all this amazing history. And then here's me, this little Brit from Liverpool. And I, I marry into the family. Aren't I lucky? supposed to say yes. I can say my family has this long line of, but I, I should have the humility to say it's not like I, I, mar I got joined into that family. And we don't replace Israel. Rather, God has joined us into that. 
and we should be thankful. Come on, Romans, don't go there, but Romans 1, the very first and finest exposition of the gospel. Paul gives these greetings, and then he starts Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the, the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Come on, say Jew first, then the Gentile. Every word Paul preached, every time Paul would arrive in a town, the first thing he would do was not find Starbucks. He'd find a synagogue. First thing, every single town. He went and he'd preach the gospel. And usually he'd get slung out the back door on his blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And then he'd go to the Gentiles, but he'd always go to the Jews first. And the gospel is the power of God to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And we have not replaced Israel. That is a lie. And, and there are, I, I know actually good people who believe that, but it is dangerous to believe. If you keep pulling on that thread, you end up in a bad place. Come on, third thing we should not believe. There's this another cousin of replacement theology called fulfillment theology or fulfill well, what these guys would say and again I know some of them and some of them are good people they say well God hasn't rejected Israel and replaced them but rather Jesus came and he's he's fulfilled all of the promises to Israel it's like God is finished with Israel because all of the promises happened yeah and Jesus ticked every box and now God's got nothing to do with Israel because it all happened in Messiah and now we should just not talk about Israel anymore because it's all accomplished now, is that true? It's partially true, but it's not the truth. Jesus came and fulfilled. He fulfilled all of the law of Moses, all of the righteous requirements of the law. But can I say this? Jesus has already fulfilled some of the promises to God to Israel. Some of the promises are being fulfilled and will be fulfilled in the days, weeks, and months, and years to come. And some of them will only be fulfilled in eternity. And God is still, God is in that process of fulfilling those. Some of them, for all, throughout, throughout all eternity, he's still going to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Graham. <laughs> and John and Kathy. <laughs> Come on, on and on we go. But my point is, I don't push him. Enough. And God is fulfilling those promises. But that is a journey, and it will be one throughout all eternity. God's going to choose Jerusalem as his dwelling place. Hallelujah. And it's important we don't go, yeah, they're all done. Bye-bye, all finished. No, he's still working out those promises. Come on, those, those are three kind of things about people who don't believe in Israel. Uh, let me carry on with another four here. Let me check my little list here. Number four, romanticism. Can I be honest? I see a lot of this in America. And I love you all, but uh, do you know it's possible to go to any nation, and I was in one just yesterday, and look at it through romantic eyes. And I know, I took some folks to Ireland for the first time last week, and they see the green hills of Ireland, and the rain and the mist, the lark in the morning, she rises as we go. <laughs> I'm honest, I'm not knocking, I'm just, it's funny in a way. I tell people that this is, it's okay, but some people want to go to the great cathedrals or whatever and the stained glass windows. This is just me. There's nothing going on whatsoever in those cathedrals. The church we were in last Sunday is changing lives. 
and it's in a, sorry if you're watching Billy, it's in a beat up industrial estate where it nearly blows your tires getting in there, the roads are so bad. There's a, there's a gym above the church, I'm preaching and boom, 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 it's going on. <laughs> and uh, I, I love you, but the heating's like, non-existent, no, it's not so great and like here's my point, the point I'm actually making is that's a real island. It's real and it's glorious. And God is changing lives. And, you know, some of the people we hang out at Mon one, you know, we're talking to a lady there on Monday who came to have coffee. You know, she's just spent years of being a heroin addict, whatever, and got born again, got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's church. You can go to Paris and look at romantic. I saw people crying when Notre Dame was burning. Do we, do you know, do, does anybody know what Notre Dame means in English? Our Lady. There's nothing Christian. Talk to Leah about her dad has a little church that probably looks just like Billy's. Real people preaching the real gospel, fighting at times to change lives with all the opposition. Nothing sexy and romantic about the outside. And, you know, the gospel isn't always in the things we see. And, and here's just a point. It's possible to go to Israel and look at it through tourism eyes and take the bus tour and buy a tambourine with a Star of David on it. I hope nobody's gone. I said, made in China, obviously. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's sort of at the surface. And suddenly every song we sing is in the key of E minor. And I'm not, it's, it's, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. The point is, we, we actually want to look at Israel through Bible eyes, not through romantic eyes. Yeah, and not simply look at this very frothy surface thing. Again, I'll tell you something, guys. Talk to people who go there. Israel is not a godly nation on the whole. There are more hippies in Israel than there are in California. Apparently, Israel has more dreadlocks than any nation on earth. Seriously, it's not a, there's like, you know, Orthodox Jews who are like, that has its own weirdness. And then there's, you know, a beautiful people, whatever. But it's not, don't, don't see it through romantic eyes. The attack that took place on that music festival a few weeks ago and, and, and that, you know, it's demonic and we have, but, you know, they were dancing around the Buddha. My point is, don't, don't like get, we, get biblical. Man. Some of you are looking at me strangely. Come on. Number five, error. We shouldn't go back under the law. Some people get like awakened to the message, God loves Israel. He's got a plan for Israel. Wow, Israel. And then they suddenly go like, wouldn't it be cool if we celebrated Passover? Like, yeah, awesome. And this and this and the Sabbath and this and this. And you're sinning because you do. And suddenly we're back under the law. And Paul is adamant about that. You know, he writes to the Galatians when somebody sneaks in and tells all the men, you've all got to be circumcised as a religious thing. And he's like, guys, you are missing the grace of God. And we are not under the law. Now, we should look at the law. Is it okay to celebrate Passover? Like, yeah, rock on. I have a pastor friend who has a big cookout. They'll barbecue a lamb in the parking lot. And I'm like, great. If you catch the heart of what it's about, the why of it, but don't go back under the law. That's not okay. Come on, number, where are we? Number six in our list. Replacing Jesus with worship of Israel. Again, let me say this. There's only one way to come into fellowship with the Lord, and that is through Jesus. There's not like a Jewish path and a Christian path. 
God doesn't bring anybody into his kingdom because of ethnicity, because of DNA, because of genetics. He brings them in because they've got a humble heart and they say, I can't save myself. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And when a Gentile does that, God says, you're in. And when a Jew does that, God and, and in a way, at times, we can fall so in love with Israel that we begin to sort of go, well, you know, you're... You've got a special deal with God. That's true, but you don't. There's no salvation outside of repentance. Paul's message to the Jewish people is repent and believe the gospel. And at times I'll see Christians who get this version of like, oh, you guys are Jewish, and it's so awesome that you're all set. No, they're not all set. Everything in the Torah in the Old Testament points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. All of those sacrifices, the Passover, everything God was trying to get them to do to teach their children points at Jesus. And if we ever begin doing a, there's a plan B, we're in trouble. Mm. Come on, let, let me end this with a, uh, end this part of it anyway with just a thought as well. If we're going to be a peop the people God wants us to be, it's got to break our heart as well what's happening to the Palestinian people. It's not okay that we fall, we've got this wonderful biblical theology about Israel and our hearts. I tell you, Jesus loves the world, but Jesus loves the poor. Jesus loves justice. And I want to say this, if this is difficult, just think, chew in it. Come and give me a hug and we'll talk some more about it. But God loves Israel, but that doesn't mean he loves everything Israel does. And at times, I know, because I will do it too, we, we see things like that happen on October the 7th, and we'll say, I stand with Israel. Well, I, I will say that saying, like, I stand with them against this evil. I don't agree with everything Israel's doing. I don't agree with everything America's doing. But since when did we have to sign some absolute blank check and say, oh, I just agree, agree with every little... And, and will Israel pass stupid laws? as do the Brits and the Americans and the French we won't even talk about, but you know, and on and on we go, we're human, we're sinners. And God wants us to see Israel through his promise, through his prophetic word. But that doesn't mean that we like give them carte, carte blanche, you know, this oh, pass and everything's okay. And I, I want to say that I think if we're nearly every week in this church at 9 a.m., I will pray for Israel, but I'll also pray for the Palestinians. And it's really important. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't know the answer to that. I, I know what God's answer. God will take the brokenness of men and women and bring perfect justice. And there's so many different things going on in that that it actually becomes, it, it doesn't help us when we come with easy, facile, one-sentence answers. If they'd only do this, here's how it will all work. You know, when people go to Northern Ireland, that's complicated enough for people to... I've never taken one person to Ireland who understands the whole context there. And I notice whenever people try to explain to others what's going on, it's just really, really complicated. But God loves everybody. And if we're going to be the people God wants us to be, we can't do this thing that says, well, God's for this group. But that means God... No, God's for everybody. And he wants his plans and purposes worked out. Come on, nearly done here, but let's go to that last section. How should we as a church live and respond to Israel? Number one, I believe we should have a heart of love and respect towards Israel. Again, that doesn't mean worship, and it doesn't mean we agree with everything they do. I think it's okay. There's a meme going around right now that if anybody criticizes Israel in any way, you're instantly anti-Semitic. 
That's not true. Come on, can I say that, guys? I don't know. I was not in America when 9-11 happened. I was a Brit living in France. I actually remember, I don't even know if Leah will, I remember your dad preaching the Sunday after 9-11, about 9-11. And, and it's still me to this day, have, Leah's dad, who's a pastor in Paris, preached on the, the scripture that he who carries the sword doesn't carry it in vain. I remember Leah's dad saying this, and, I, and it was right. He basically said, you know, firstly, we've got to pray for our American friends who've just been through this inimaginable attack. I remember Leah's dad saying, secondly, he said, everybody loves America right now in Le Monde, the big newspaper in Paris that wrote, on est tous America. We're all Americans right now. But it didn't last that long. And he was saying after, and I remember Leah's dad saying, it's right, they have a right to seek, not revenge, but seek justice. And, and I remember her dad was saying, that when that verse says that the Roman soldiers who carried the sword didn't do it in vain, what he was saying is Roman justice wasn't perfect. And after 9-11, I think it's fair to say America did many good things. I think we missed it in some areas. I think sometimes the idea that we could conquer a country and re, you know, turn it into New Jersey, I think in hindsight, and hindsight's 2020, isn't it? We should have a lot of humility, and I, I think we should honor people like President Bush who were there at the time, like who people were in a really tough place. And I think actually even prayerfully really tried to do the right thing. But my point is they didn't, in America, we, speaking as an American, we didn't respond perfectly. And I, I don't think Israel's going to respond perfectly in what it does. But my point is we should be praying for them. I think it's actually quite easy to critique what Israel's doing right now. And I think it's open to critique. But we should have the humility to say, what should they do instead? It's easy to say, have a ceasefire. Yeah, but for how long? And then, like, just it's hard to start judging other people. We're not in that situation. And I think we should be a people of prayer. I think we should hold Israel up, love them, honor them. I think we should stand, number two, we should stand against anti-Semitism wherever we see it. Come on, number three, we should pray for the nation of Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. Number four, I said this earlier, but we need to own the reality that the church hasn't always had a good testimony towards Israel. And if I'm speaking to some Jewish person and they're like, they're going like, oh my God, you're Christians, you hate us, you think we kill Jesus. We should humble ourselves and say, no, I kill Jesus through my sin, we the world, or frankly, he laid down his life. And I think at times there is a humility we should have that says, forgive us for our stupidity. We got a lot of things wrong and we we're growing and learning and we want to get them right. But we've actually got to own that many stupid things were done in the name of Jesus in the past that is not the plan of God for us. Again, number five, I'm repeating some things. We need to differentiate between loving Israel and praying for them and agreeing with everything politically that Israel does. That's not the same thing. And it's not wrong that, you know, we raise our voices or that we say, hey, we, we love you, we honor you, but I'm not okay with that. I honor my parents. I love my parents. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything. It's okay to disagree. And good friends call out friends when friends are doing something wrong. But I tell you what, I, I think America needs to be that nation, and by and large it is, that will speak truth but also speak truth to power and not, um, 
you know, not simply whitewash everything in that. Boom. Come on, number six, we should be praying and supporting people who God has called to share the gospel with the Jewish people. And number seven, and I believe this, we should be praying that our nation or our nations will have the courage to stand with Israel and be a blessing to Israel. Again, not agree with everything, but that we are not simply falling into the trap of many nations, of aligning with what Satan's trying to do. Hmm. Some of you are looking at me, oh, that's a lot. Come on, let, let me tie these, let me sew you back up and then we'll have lunch, okay? <laughs> Come on, number one, if you're here like, great, am I really disagree with that? That's okay. You know, go on that journey. Sometimes we've got to open our Bible, be Bereans, and go on a journey. If you want to tell me I'm wrong, awesome. But watch out. No. Come and give you a hug, and let, let's have a coffee and, and talk about it and pull at it. Because there's a lot of things I haven't said the, yeah. But, but if there's one central thing I would love you to catch today, I think there is an honor due to, from the church to the people of Israel. And a prayer, it's not a worship, it's not we agree with everything, it's not you guys are closer to God than we are, because that's not true. Right now, most Christians are a lot closer to God than the people of Israel, but it's still, we've got to honor. Remember the rock from whence you were hewn. Remember where you've come from. And I think if we're going to be a grown-up, mature church, and I, frankly, if we want the blessing of God on our lives, I think there is that debt to pray for them and to bless them. And come on, I want to do this today. Would we stand up? I want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but I want to pray for every, every Palestinian as well. Every old man, old woman, every father, mother, every little child, every baby. Most of those did not choose what they are going through right now. Like so often in land where, lands where people are suffering, it comes down to a few abusive leaders who look more like the mafia than, than a representative government. And Lord, I, I, Father, I pray you'll open our eyes. I pray you'll give us a heart of compassion, a heart of love. Lord, we want to be wise virgins with oil in our lamp and our eyes looking for the master. Lord, we want to be those who you won't have to say fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Lord, I pray that we'll be diligently inquiring. Father, I pray as a church community, we will be a community of Annas and Simeons, of those who are looking for the consolation. They looked for your first coming. Let us look for your second coming. Lord, let us be peacemakers in the world. Let us be people of truth and strength. And Lord, be crying out for justice, crying out for the innocent, for the poor, for those who are suffering and living in fear and terror today. And Lord, we, we just, in this house, we honor your people, Israel. We bless them. Thank you, Father, that while we were yet sinners, you chose a nation, not a perfect nation, but you chose a man of faith, a man called Abraham. And you said, look up at the stars, look up at the sand of the sea, so, so shall your seed be. And Lord, we thank you. We honor those who pass this gospel on to us. Let us be faithful stewards of it in our day and our generation. And again, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for your people suffering. Lord, we pray that the plots and schemes of evil men will fall to nothing and that your plans and purposes will be worked out 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for your patience today. There's a lot there. Hey, we have, do we have food downstairs? Do we have, I believe we have soup downstairs and coffee. So stay and have some lunch. We'll have a prayer team up here in a moment. If anybody would like any prayer, we'd be happy to pray for you today. And if you run, again, happy Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving in Jesus' name.